Who made a resolution this year? Keep your hand up if you're still doing it, if you're holding strong. Already, I mean, well, great. We're a whole four weeks in, so that's good. Um, I, just thinking about resolution, I didn't make a resolution this year, but at the end of this year, you know, we've taken a lot of time as a faith community to be able to really think through and prayerfully ask God where we are as a, as a church. You know, what are we, what are we, is there something new? Is there something fresh? Is there a new vision? Or is there a new thing? I think we're constantly co- trying to figure out what's next, but that's kind of our nature, isn't it? It's like, okay, well, now we're here. Well, what's next? We're, we struggle with contentment and we struggle with finding the thing within the thing a lot of times. And sometimes that could be good. Sometimes that could be bad. But, you know, I, I came to a point and I shared this, the uh, last message in December that I took a little time away and just kind of praying through that and praying that God would, would say, if there's a new season for us at ANC, if there's a renewed vision or refresh or something new we need to be doing or whatever, uh, that he would give that to us, that he would reveal that, that we would, if, you know, just to continue to press into him. And, and one of the things that for me was very significant in that time away um, came from, and we shared it a couple times. So I'll just share this for those of you who maybe who weren't there. I was reading a book in the very first um, paragraph, the, it was written in 1916. The very first paragraph said, said this, it said, the church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. And he, and then he kind of summed it up by reminding us that we are God's method. And so our journeys together, who we are, who we are becoming the space in which we encounter that how we lift up God and discover more about him, what we do from Monday through Saturday, uh, how we do community, how we worship, all of those things are, are not about the thing itself. It's about our journey as we are um, seeking who God is, to know him more intimately, to be restored back to him, and to live this gospel out that it's the same gospel that saved us that works in us today every day, okay? It's the same work, it's the same hope that is taking us from where we were, where we are, to where God is bringing us. That, that he's looking for us to be the church that, he, that Christ died for, right? And that's a pretty daunting task at times because we're pretty messed up. Uh, but it also kind of lets the pressure off a little bit because... As we look in Scripture, as we consider who Jesus is and what he taught, and we consider who our God the Father is, he's never challenged us to arrive at a point. He's never said, you have to just get to this place and you'll be received. He never challenges us. That's something I think Jason spoke into really well last week. It's something that our flesh desires, that approval from mankind and uh, from other people and things like that. He just doesn't uh, desire uh, that from us. But... He does put us on a journey, and he does consider our trajectory. Um, and I think that's what we've been looking at a lot in Matthew 6. Today we're going to wrap up Matthew 6. There's, I think the end of this chapter going into chapter 7 is a really strong transition. And as I study through the, this section of the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus with a, with a thread. It's a very common thread and something had eluded me in the past that I think he's coming to these scriptures that we're going to look into today. Just there, it's actually a very brief look into these scriptures. Uh, but I think it's also relevant to where we are as a faith community, as we consider who we are individually 
then also collectively. So as we consider that, we're thinking about if we are God's method and God is looking for us to find him and to grow in him. um, And as we consider who we are as the church, I want to maybe give a little update. So some of you who are a part of different things in the church, you know what's going on in this area. You might not know what's going on in in another area. Kind of give you an idea of where we've been focusing some of our energies and want to look into it in two ways. I believe that God gives us many times a, a specific revelation, and then there's a general revelation. A specific revelation may be um, something that is specific to you or to an individual or to an individual group of people or something that, that God has said, listen, there's going to be all kinds of forms of this thing, but you, there's something specific I have called you to that there's something specific I have shaped you for. Your experiences in the past, your journey, uh, coming from all different places, I've brought you together and there is a specific revelation in which I have for you. And if, if you are faithful to anything in this moment, then we need to consider what that thing is. And then there's the general revelation that God has given all, I, I think, believers, all man, mankind. And, and no matter what we decide about how we want, it, want our church to look, we don't get to reinvent what Jesus told us to do. That general revelation is for the church, all of us. And there's, there's two things in Scripture that we've heard a million times, if you've grown up in church, that uh, define what that general revelation is and what we're to be about. One is what's considered the greatest commandment, and the other is the great commission. So the great commandment calls us to do what? To love who? God. And to love who? Others. Your neighbor as yourself. Um, in fact, the scripture goes on to say that all the laws and the prophets, all the things we could do church-wise, all the churchy stuff we could ever do, literally hang on these two things. We can go through all the motions, check all the boxes. And if it's not, if the hinge is not out of a love for God or a love or concern for others then those acts are yet filthy rags. Um, so love God and love others. And then our commission is to what? Just the prayer phase. To make what? To make disciples. That was the great commission. Jesus said make disciples. He went on to talk about obeying all that he had commanded, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then there were some promises after that, that he would be with us as we do that. But that is our commission actually to the disciples at that point was to create this ongoing thing that we are becoming disciples, being committed to becoming more and more like Christ and that we would empower others to be able to join that journey as well as we are making disciples. And I believe, I believe very deeply that the idea of discipleship is a lot bigger than we traditionally consider it. I think discipleship starts, our discipling other people, <clears throat> our discipleship begins when they simply see us. If someone is far from Christ or does not understand, have an understanding or a context for what a, life, uh, a Christian life may look like, I think they see us. And then if that person was to come into faith, their idea of what a disciple looks like, uh, unfortunately at times, uh, is based on what they saw in us. So there's actually kind of this pre-conversion discipleship that happens, that we set the stage for what it means to be a Christian and what it looks like to follow Christ. And people are watching it. It's very, very real. And that's what Jesus did with the disciples. Before he ever revealed to him truly who he was, he walked with them and he, he taught them a new way of living, right? 
and help them encounter and experience certain things. So this general revelation is that we are to, we are to learn how to understand this loving, how to love God, love others, and to make disciples. However, I believe it's our specific revelation that gives us insight into how we live out that general revelation. Does that make sense? So that thing that God has put on your heart, or maybe even a calling, which is a word used a lot, but this thing that you're just like, if I do anything, I know God has shaped me for this thing. I don't think that thing is supposed to be separate from loving God, loving others, and making disciples. I think somehow that is the lens in which we do that, that one um, thing. Um, Austin New Church started out of a specific revelation to have on top of the general relation to serve others and to be about the kingdom. To serve others and be about the kingdom. That's what it's been about from the beginning. That's what we started trying doing six or however many years ago in downtown Austin. And we began to open the Bible and say, what if Jesus really meant that? What would it look like? And then we tried to go do it, right? And so that has always been our heart. With that in mind, discipleship will always be partnered with a deep commitment to our community, to the poor, a deep commitment to the nations. Maybe our, our desire and how we model the way we live and how we, how, how, how we operate, how we do community. I, it's interesting, you know, back, was it the 90s that the WWJD bracelets were such the big deal? What would Jesus do? That really is a great question, isn't it? Like really, like in this moment, what really would he do? You know, to think about the Jesus who knelt in the, in the dirt and, and drew in the sand when dealing with the woman caught in the adultery. The Jesus who, instead of following tradition to walk around Samaria, walked straight through it and hung out with this woman at the well at noon who was, if you know anything about that story, she was there at noon because she was an outcast in the heat of the day and he was there speaking to her. This, this kind of Jesus who met people where... They were. So I, I think our discipleship will always be part with a deep commitment to community, to the broken, to the poor, and to the nations. I think because of our general revelation, our organizational structure will always include a partnership with other churches and planting churches, giving away, trying to do all that we can with nonprofits in our city and around. But the problem with both of these things is that in order to do that, it requires us to send people, resources, our energies in the opposite direction of what it usually takes to build this thing on Sunday. Or what traditionally at times many churches use to build facilities and have state-of-the-art programs and state-of-the-art facilities and great programs and things like that. So there's this tension of, but we're going to take that money, some of it, and we're going to equally value giving it away. It, 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 when we were a church of three locations, the desire was to try and be a church that wasn't just so centralized, but it was a desire to be in other communities. The reason we launched out Eastside is because we wanted them to thrive as a church and we want to give them. And it's hard because we're giving away what if we used to keep, we could do some stuff, you know. But I believe that that's the tension in which we've been called as a faith community. And what I'm beginning to learn is it's that in that tension that we become more and more like Christ. It's in that tension of who are we, why are we, what are we doing, in which we really have to dig into our motives and our heart 
We have to really dig into what is a strong kingdom theology. What is our, what is our, our true view of the gospel and how it works? Is it a gospel that just saves or is it a gospel that saves, transforms, and renews? Um, and I think that's why it's so important that not all churches look the same. I think the church in Austin should be as diverse as our city if we want to reach our city. I think if we all look the same, then we would all be reaching the same people. And I think to a degree, that's a fault of the church in most cities. We're kind of fishing out of the same small pond while the rest of the world, who said, I'll never come to your church, just is like, you guys don't even know what's going on with us. But I think we need to press into that, and we need to be strong in our identity um, because they play a different role in our community. And we have a unique identity because we have unique people. And so, man, I, I think about this deep commitment that ANC has to mission. What that means is, is that it translates to us being the church. That we have to say, um, we are doing this together. That it can't, we have to avoid the, are you doing this or are you providing that? But we have to figure out together what that looks like. When we have a need as a faith community, how do we address that? How do we grow? How do we learn from failure? How do we encourage one another and be there to deepen our uh, community? So you start with who we are, right? Then in the fall, we talked, we did a, a series on the gathering and the sending church. And we talked about that some of you, some of us in this room are deeply drawn to modalities or more of a a gathered faith. You're drawn to pastoral care and a sense of community and the gathering and the worship. And then some of you are gifted and your, your, your desire is more ascending where you would rather just go out there. And, and it's almost, it almost um, is a burden for you to come on a Sunday morning because you'd rather be out there doing these things. But we recognize that the body of Christ has both for a, for a very unique purpose to be able to operate together. So we acknowledge who we are, where we've been. All of you have different stories. Most of you have been in other churches. Some of you were in other churches last week, okay? Some of you are gonna go to a different church next week. Um, but we all have our experiences and we have to just look at it and say, God, what are you doing here? And then we've gotta back up and say, let's just do the best we can with what we have. Um, so here's been our commitment. This is kind of housekeeping stuff. If you're visiting with us, you get to hear the heart of who we are, but we kind of do this anyways, but this is kind of a half and half. So I don't know. You're welcome. Uh, thank you. I don't know. Um, so we do the best we can. Here, here's what we've tried to do. I think this is the best way to try and clarify. Everything we try and do Sunday morning, it, we try to go vertical. We try, I've, I've been a part, I've led ministries where everything is topical and everything is seeker sensitive and everything is, I don't want to offend anybody in the crowd and, you know, all this stuff. <clears throat> and I think what we've realized is, is that we have so many different issues in this room, including me and everyone on stage, that there's no, none of us need to walk into this room and just hear the best preacher or sermon in, in the city. We don't just need to hear the best band in the city or experience the best program. Every single one of us, we need to encounter the Spirit. We need to encounter a God who meets you where you are. 
So our desire has always been, let's start with worship. Let's always focus on his word. Let's always come back to some reflective, responsive reading. Always go into communion to remember what that table represents. Closing in meditative prayer and worship uh, to reflect on those words and to go. So that we could just go vertical. So that everything else that we can do could be about horizontal. Community. Serving. Loving one another. Caring for one another and those things. And so... You know, I, I've been a part of and, and have a lot of friends who are part of what we call the missional movement. And a lot of people have misinterpreted the missional movement of being more just house church or just always out there. I would argue that's not true. I, I would argue that the missional movement is just a heart recognizing that mission is just as important. Not any higher, whatever. But I think it also acknowledges that we tend to lean towards not mission. We just tend to lean towards the gathering. And so sometimes here we overshoot mission on purpose to try and land in the middle somewhere. So kind of know there's, that's kind of on purpose, but there's a value deeply, deeply um, for both. So how does that look? Sunday morning, we already talked about this. We want this to constantly be more conducive for worship. I don't like worshiping in, in a middle school. I feel like in a cafetorium, it's kind of the chairs are too small, you know, all this stuff. And moving in here was difficult for me when we first started because I really liked Jackie's. The ugliest building in South Austin just suited us. It was weird. Um, But this is becoming home for now for us. But we're always going to try and do what we can to make this the best environment for us to go vertical. So, no, that's the motivation behind this kind of stuff. We will always continue to do that. Some of the other things we're really working on right now is uh, we spend a lot of time behind the scenes, and hopefully we're going to see more of this, is developing a story team to be able to tell stories of what God is doing and how he is working in the people of ANC. Uh, and we want to use this platform on Sunday to be able to do that so we know what's going on. We're encouraged by one another. We could pray for one another. We could be challenged by one another to be able to do that. But as we roll into 2015, what's new at ANC? Maybe you're new. Maybe you haven't heard this. But I do want to acknowledge a couple things. Here's what we've been doing. Here's what we've been about. First of all, I think one of the biggest things at the end of 2014 that we have really uh, rolled out, and I'm just thankful uh, for their leadership, is our care team. Dale and Laurel Lear, where, where are you guys? You got to give them a hand real quick. I know they will. Your, your pastoral staff at ANC, well, I can't say this all. Um, some of us aren't very good at pastoral stuff. I'm not going to name any names. Uh, but, but, man, we came to a crossroads as we were just talking about the needs and the care and the pastoral ministry and the things going on at ANC. We just weren't doing well. And Dale came to me and said, we suck at this. <laughs> and I'm like, man, you're right. And what I loved about him is he didn't say, you need to fix it. He said, can I help lead it? And so they've been developing a team dealing with um, praying for our church, caring for our church. They developed some processes. There's a, there's a card out front with a phone number. If you ever need prayer, just in that moment, every week, there's a t- team member in the back during communion that you could pray with. There's a place on the website to report if there's something going on that you need, you know, uh, help with or prayer with or, or anything like that. And so, Thankful for that team, and it's bigger than just them. There are several other people on that team, but that is an amazing thing that we've been, that they've been running with, I'm just very thankful with. Um, Not long ago, we brought in, kind of brought in, he brought in himself, and we were thankful for it because he could have gone to any, any church, Free Methodist Church in North America, and he chose to come here, Jason Morris, who, uh, amazing teacher, 
little goofy sometimes with the shoelaces. But, um, but one of the things Jason has just been really pouring into is really looking at what community looks like at AMC. And he's gathered with a lot of you, a lot of the leaders, had some leadership training, some things. We're really wanting to refocus how do we do what we're doing through our restore groups, reevaluating our rhythms, some new group leaders, uh, some new groups, things like that. He's been really investing in that. Very thankful for all of you who are a part of that and have been a part of community because I believe the missional community, the community should be the greatest testimony of the kingdom. I think us in community, that thing somehow should represent some of the greatest hope a neighbor should encounter or people should see. And so thankful for that, been focusing on that. Number three, really been focusing and praying through what's going on with our family ministries here uh, at Austin New Church. One of the things we did towards the end of the year as well, we had a transition where Allison Morris and Faith, where are they? Here's Faith. Hi, Faith. Have stepped in and have been leading our children's ministry, doing an amazing job. Um, <clears throat> we have moved the first time, I think, in the history of our church where the volunteer team has been built up where we do not have any paid nannies working with our kids. Everyone there is there because I want to say they want to be, but because they should be, want to be, um, working on new curriculum, a new structure in there. Um, we have an amazing uh, volunteer ministry for our students, for our kids. Um, um, those of you who worked with the students, raise your hand. Come on, raise your hands higher. Thank you guys for giving your time and for loving on them. The Dixons worked with a volunteer leading this for over four and a half years, for four years, right? Who does that for because, just because? That's awesome. But we're praying now about what is next for our student ministry. Do we, we're considering hiring someone to help oversee the direction of that or looking, working with and empowering our leaders and helping, helping them do all the things that they dream of. Focusing on students. We're also focusing on a fourth and the last thing we're really focusing in on again is reevaluating and increasing our local partnerships with nonprofits in our city. When we first started our church, we hired Matthew Hansen, and all he did was work on local nonprofits. As the church grew and became more complicated, that became less of a priority, not because we didn't want it to be, but because we just couldn't do it all, right? And so we are thinking, hopefully, maybe we can find someone working with youth as a heart for nonprofits that we can actually move forward and increase those again. And our goal is so that when you as a restore community or as a mission community, you have... We want to serve, we want to be involved, we want to do some things. The heart is then so that um, there are things and partnerships already created and opportunities that you can go and you can just serve because it's there. We've done that work for you. And so those are the things that we're really super, super focused on right now. Um, and And to be honest with you, it comes from the same heart from the very beginning of doing what we felt like ANC was supposed to be about from the beginning. And so I'm encouraged. I'm excited where we are as a, as a faith community, as a church. Um, I'm just more and more convinced that it's not about providing the best programs or arriving at this place as a church because we will never arrive. We can never compare ourselves to other churches in town because we have a very unique calling. We are God's method. That's a cool thing. So I hope you're challenged by that but encouraged by that as well. So here's where I share this a little bit in this part of Matthew chapter 6. If you haven't had the opportunity, you need to go online and listen to the podcast, some of the messages from chapter 6. For me, they were very, um, they were kind of, um, 
it shifted my understanding of what Jesus was doing there. As we've taught this in context and worked straight through it. He taught about giving. He taught about prayer. He taught about fasting. Taught about what we value and where we lay our treasures. Jason taught on that last week. But while they are issues, I don't believe they're necessarily the main topics of Jesus' teaching. I believe that they are illustrations to make his point. That even in the religious things, our relationship with God begins and remains pure from the inside out. Jason talked about the rust on the inside of the tank versus the outside, you know. And that the promise is at the very heart level secret place in our lives. If when we figure out somehow to meet God there, the result is true restoration and not just temporary accolades. The stuff that really lasts. And I think when we come to that place where we don't, we're not experiencing that, I think we have to back up and go, okay, what was my motive? Where, where was my agenda? What was I thinking in this moment? And there's, does anybody remember, through all of these scriptures we've taught, does anybody remember towards the end of each paragraph or each illustration or story, Jesus said something about the Father? Do you remember this common thread that was through this, Matthew 6? Anybody? He said this at the end of each one. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Each one over and over and over and over. And we know that word reward means restore. I loved it when he taught the specific scripture that said um, that your father knows your greatest needs. And that word know means perceive. So he like a father to a child, he reads your face and he perceives where your greatest need is even when you don't know. So it's at that vulnerable place. And in that, somehow, if we could just get to that place, that is where true restoration begins. And not just covering up a fancy paint job on top of a rusted old tank with no gas left in it. You know what I mean? Who perceives? Who perceives? So I think he's going to this, verses 22 through 24. I think he's saying, here's the key. And I hope that I could, we could give you a little space today um, just to think about this moment. When he talks about all these stories, and then he feels like he switches gears at verse 22. But here's what he says. <clears throat> the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What are the eyes? What do you think he's talking about, the eyes? What do you think the eyes are? And, you, and, and what, what comes to your mind when you think about that? Okay, maybe a perception. Actually, there's some, there's some disagreement among biblical scholars on what it could be. And my thought is that it, maybe it is more than one. Your, your, your perception or maybe your understanding, right? Who said that? Great. Thank you, Michelle. What, what else maybe? What you see, you focus on kind of a similar thing, but yes. Huh? Maybe your posture. Okay. So... Um, the word that I came up with, I think is very similar, is maybe your motive. Your posture reveals your motive many times, whether it's judgment or it's grace or whether it's, bro, I'm on the same team, I get it. You know, that our posture often is a reflection of what our true motive is or our, our thought. What, what else? 
Oh, the way you connect with others, that's good. Laurel. If you have the, uh, if you have a good eye, you're what? Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. If you have a good eye, you're generous. If you have a bad eye, you're stingy. That was, uh, you called it a Jewish idiom? Excellent. I love them. <laughs> so, so as I read, as I study it, I, I hear there are different arguments that it means the heart or the understanding or the motive, all of those things. But it also is just the eye, the perception, the seeing. Um, and so it says if, it's, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What do you think it means to be healthy? Okay, maybe the, the right attitude. Does anyone have a different translation than what was read? Do you have a Bible that says something besides, health, besides healthy? No? Maybe to see, just to see the truth. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think the word healthy there really means simple or single. Uh, it's strange. Really, it, it means simple or, or single or un, literally unfolded. So I think it is, it's truth, it's to see clearly, but it's to be single-minded. Single and in context, single-minded on, on what? All the lessons we've been learning. Huh? The truth of what, though? Specifically as it relates to God versus other people, religion versus the heart, single-minded on what? Yeah, so our position with God. And that restoration and being who we are called to, you know, to become and who God is making us, healing us, you know. Um, and so then it goes on. So it's, it's, so it's talking about the, it talks about the eye. But then it says, if your eyes are healthy, <clears throat> your whole, let's see, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So in order to shine light into the body, which direction has the, does the lamp or the light have to be pointed? Inward, right? So the eyes first, it's saying, shine inward. So we're looking inward to perceive something. What are the questions we should be asking as we're looking inward, you think, in relationship to this, these stories? What questions should we be asking ourselves Am I rusty? How do we view ourselves in our own eyes? How do I really view myself? I think the scripture is really challenging us to go, where am I broken? Where, where am I wounded? Where are the things? How do I really view myself in light of God's mercy? How do I, what is my identity? Where do I find my identity? Is it, is it in my failures or my story? Or is my identity in truly believing that I'm a child of God, being made new? How we perceive ourselves. Well, uh, what other question? How we, how we view ourselves first. What else? How we view others. I think that that's one of the things that I, I, I catch myself all the time when I realize, okay, I'm treating this person this way because I'm thinking this about them. Oh, they're just a, a uh, waitress. Oh, they're just the ticket person at the movie. 
Uh, they're just the guy behind the counter at the gas station whose pumps won't take my credit card. He keeps saying the number's wrong when it's not. It's his fault. You know, and I'm just, how we view others, how we view others spiritually. Um, and then there's someone else, how we view who? Maybe how we view God. I think we need to think that through. I think Jesus has given us space here to think about our eyes, how we perceive, how we view ourselves, how we view others, and how we view God, learning to see others as Christ would see them, learning to see ourselves as Christ would see us, and learning to see God for who he is, to begin to look inward. So the next verse connects the eyes with the body. Where it says, your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Connects it with the body. Why? What do you think this is talking about? Hmm? Yeah, your actions physically. I think, I think it just is everything. I think it filters into every aspect of our lives. How we view, how we see. It's literally the lens in which we view everything. You personally, I think emotionally, spiritually, physically. Anybody see anything else there too? Good. What, what fuels me? What is my priority there? I, I agree. So for sake of time, I'll get you where I'm going here. When I read this, I know it's personal. I know that God is saying, I meet you at that place. That's where your healing really begins. And then that is then now, I want you to understand, that is the place in which you are really viewing others and you're viewing God and you're viewing his mercies. And it impacts you physically. But then collectively also, when you see the body in scripture, many times, what is it referring to? The church. I, I think that one of our struggles, because I know mine is, I get bitter about the church. Sometimes I'm embarrassed by the church. And I get, I don't want to do things. I don't want to get on stage because I don't want to feel like this big production thing. All these things, my wounds, my whatever, are, are shaped by sometimes misconceptions or brokenness or wounds or experiences and all those things. But what I'm remembering through this scripture is my ability to encounter true biblical community is impacted by how I view myself, how I view others, how I view God. My ability to experience the kind of faith community God desires for me to without being overcritical or always hurt or angry or expect, having expectations that no one could fill are related to me and how I see and what my eyes are doing as much as it is the things that I'm experiencing. Scripture goes on to talk about serving two masters and being double-minded. But what I love is this whole thing ends with Jesus teaches on not worrying and not having anxiety. Why would he go from all of this to that place? Any thoughts? Yeah, because it's all about being restored in him. See, scripture is not this threat. Do this or else. It is a God who created the universe and says the way and the path we're going down is less than what I have to offer. In fact, most of it is destruction. What I have to offer is bigger, it's more intimate, and there's something there that we all desire deeply. Not only do I desire for you to be restored, but then ultimately I want to bring you around to the point where you're not even worried about what you eat or what you wear 
or how you're going to pay your bills or any of these things because you've just found yourself so deeply rooted in Christ and in a community of faith that loves one another and is on this journey with you. I think that's what his desire is for each of us. Let's pray together and we'll close in a few songs of worship and communion.